This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance. This is podcast number 34. Um, and with me, uh, just like last time, uh, Corey Morningstar in Toronto. Hello, Corey. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Johan Edebo in Sweden. Hi, Johan. Hi. And uh, Hiroyuki Hamada in New York and Long Island, whose birthday it is today. So um, happy birthday, Hiroyuki. Hi. Hi, John. Thank you. Hi, Johan and Corey. So, <laughs> excuse me. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of things. Uh, and and we've, we're speaking... Um, before the recording began. One is why uh, the most uh, principled descent to the mainstream narrative of COVID and everything related to it, the lockdowns and all the restrictions, why the descent, the most principled and committed descent is coming from the right and not the left. That's one topic. And the second topic is because I get asked this a lot. And part of it is because I'm lazy and I say things like, oh, that's what they want us to do. We need to define who they is um, because it's not exactly a they, right? It, it's much more complicated than that. So those are the topics. And I I turn it over to all of you. Who wants to to start here? Mm -hmm. I can take a shot. So yeah. I would I would define I would define that. Um, I don't know. Earlier we were talking about that. I'd say that is um, they is corporate power in tandem with the ruling class, or or you could say perhaps it's um, corporate power in tandem with ruling class um, driven by global finance. Yeah, I had a quote earlier and um, and I'm going to take off these. I hate, okay, sorry, taking off the headphones. I hate headphones. Um, I had a quote earlier of Gramsci's that, that sort of answered it, that, that history, um, the laws of history are, are kind of written by the proprietor class in conjunction with... Um, other factors. It was a lot more articulate than that, but I can't find the quote now. Uh, when I say they, I mean that um, a system that is shaped by this proprietor class, by the very wealthy, um, and they they shape values. Um, and I think it was Marx that said, you know, the value of any society is the value of the, the ruling class, and it kind of trickles down. Um, that that they inculcate values and beliefs um, and and through propaganda and marketing and coercion um, so that we're now if we're speaking of the contemporary world we're looking at um, a society where we're sort of in the third generation. This was DeBoer said this, the third generation <clears throat> in which um, the spectacle, what he called the spectacle, um, 
that the laws of the spectacle are the laws of this generation. They are completely molded to the, the laws of the spectacle. Johan. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, both of you. And I think we, we're dealing with a, like a set of overlapping concepts here. And I mean, you could, you could dig pretty deep here, but, but I think we all agree that we're speaking of a kind of a set of interlocking institutions that go pretty far back historically with complex roots that indirectly and structurally influence human behavior and society and not not very often in a in a direct and conscious manner we're speaking of of slow sociological processes when we when we talk they in a in a general sense i think that's my view and i think we can there are many ways to to address this uh, this phenomenon but I, I don't think we're dealing with like a coherent subject or a coherent set of subjects or groups here in a in a concrete sense right right um no, and I think uh, I was saying earlier before before we began recording, I said one of the problems is in answering that question. Um, it's very easy to say they because it's very simple and it implies something, you know, semi-coherent that people somewhat understand. Oh, it's the people in charge. It's the authority structures, because the actual answer is extraordinarily complicated and requires um, effort and time to to lay out. You have to you have to if you really wanted to give a legitimate answer to that, it's it was it's time consuming and um, labor intensive, intellectual labor. Uh, it's it's not an easy thing to answer um, in a sense anyway. Uh, it is. I can answer it and, and we can all answer it, I think. But but it's but it's not simple. Difficult questions require difficult answers, as Kierkegaard said. Um, but why is why is the why are all the principal dissenters right wing? Um, why is this coming from the right more than the left? Why is the left so on board with with the lockdowns and the suspension of civil liberties and basic human rights. Why? Well, I'd like to touch upon that if I may. Yeah. Um, I think what we're when we're talking about they, and like in my head, um, building on what you guys are talking about, you know, corporate power in tandem with the ruling class, um, driven by global finance and then insulated by um you know, going forward into this day and age, um, insulated by nonprofit industrial complex, academia, media, um, both corporate and alt media. And I think a lot of the who are identified or self-identify as left today in the West are um, have become dependent on their role within that um, that group that insulates they right. So right. they have become sort of in the in the uh, another apparatus of they. They now are are um, participatory. Um, they, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like they've become part of the machine. 
And so it becomes really, really um, difficult to bite the hand that feeds, right? And um, and they're, <laughs> I mean, they, they discovered that back in the 60s when we had, when there was re real revolution happening and they discovered the best way to um, deal with that was to monetize activism and start f funneling um, to a lot of money into those groups, right? That's when the Ford Foundation and all the foundations started really bankrolling, you know, quote unquote movements. And right. since that time, I mean, activism now has become large in the West, at least has become largely um, a product, commodified product of the, of they. And so, you know, that's what I, that's what I, that's what I see. A lot of that, and, and I think another component as well is it, it also um, demonstrates the racism that underpins this entire society, you know, yes. society and, and structure. It it run it just hums beneath the machine, right? Because absolutely, it, right. Yeah. And so, if you look, even um, Telesur in the past month um, had a report. 23 million Latin American women fell into poverty driven by the COVID, you know, um, so-called pandemic. I mean, why do you, where's the left on that, right? Why does no one give care that this is causing people, you know, the virtue, virtue signaling and uptake the, in the West is causing strife, poverty, starvation, um, you know, uh, like massive upset in the global South. How, why, why does the quote unquote left turn a blind eye? Right. Right. So I think racism is a, just another component. No, I'm glad you said that because I, I said something similar the other day that, that, that when you look at, um, the liberal left and, but even, even, you know, Trotsky's organizations, I know, and and um, the green left, all of them uh, so readily, so without difficulty embraced the narrative of, you know, all these global health institutions, the UN, Bill Gates, all of it, that these narratives were not question there was no skepticism and i think part of it is it was the surfacing of this latent racism this neo-colonial sensibility that has never left the white west <clears throat> certainly not the english-speaking white west but but the french and german as well uh that that there is at best, this paternalism that is expressed toward the global south, towards Africa in particular, because the most acute form of this is anti-black racism. And it is expressed in this, this condescension uh, toward Africa that they need our help um, and that white people should be making decisions. And the Gates persona and the Gates brand fits seamlessly with that narrative and with those biases um, and prejudices. And so I think that that the racism is is distinct because, look, there was the, you know, the hatred of Trump and then Biden comes in. And so far, there is every indication Biden is going to be a worse president in terms of foreign policy. He's already bombing Syria. Um, and and 
his remarks and comments towards Iran and Iraq and the entire region, really, what we have seen of it so far is is more belligerent, more bellicose, um, uh, and more openly imperialist, and his Russophobia is more acute, certainly. Uh, so, yeah, it, 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 it that, that, the very people who believe the mainstream narrative about COVID are people that um, very selectively look at Biden and his administration as um, a return to normal that, that is some kind of a savior for all of us. Anyway, Hiroyuki, yeah. Well, I, um, the, the, all those uh, um, bits and pieces are really, really uh, part of the, uh, the fact that the, uh, the Western hegemony is created as a result of reactionary revolutions, uh, revolutions of capitalist class. So they are the ones, they, <laughs> they are the ones who domesticated rest of us in order for them to perpetuate their uh, hegemony. And uh, so right-wing um, angles are part of their um, principles. They are variations of capitalist approach. Um, but the leftist angle gives alternative to the whole thing. It, it's a different concept. It requires revolutionary effort to dismantle and construct structure that works for the people, that works for people and the nature living together harmoniously. So it's a different thing and it's not acceptable. So that's that's the um, that's what's happening. The victory of the Western hegemony as dominating um, entity. Let me, uh, Johan. You, you, what did you had something to say? I think uh, Corey was uh, first in line. <laughs> okay, God, you're such a gentleman, yeah. Corey. What did you have to say? I just had a really short thing. You know, I just want. I think we should acknowledge if your activism is not built on the foundation of anti-imperialism and anti-capitalism, anti-militarism, um, and you know, um, anti-patriarchy, it's useless. You know, we need a solid foundation to build upon, and anti-imperialism in the West is just not there. I mean, this whole build back better, um, green. New Deal, Global Green New Deal, that is completely um, an imperialist project. Right. Right. Like that's not, that's not left. That's not activism. That's um, complicity, right? Right. With um, capitalist system within imperialists. So I just wanted to say that. No, it's true. Absolutely. Um, Johan. Yeah, I think uh, I, I agree with what you're saying here, and I think you touch upon something interesting, Hiroyuki, when you when you maintain that uh, the the radical right, <clears throat> if I use that as a as a kind of umbrella concept, isn't as much of a threat to the system as the the radical left or uh, or similar movements could be. 
And I think the, this is a really complicated question as to why this kind of, of criticism is mostly seen from, from the right. And I think there are, I see at least four main reasons off the top of my head. And uh, I, first of all, I think that these kind of, of this kind of uh, potentially disruptive criticism that's that's dangerous to the the system as we as we say uh, it's it's kind of funneled into the already stigmatized radical right because it's it's considered it's an enemy image here we we it's already stigmatized and lacks uh, credibility so we kind of push every unwanted idea and and uh, notion together here and uh, I think you sent me an article, John, by a, an Indian writer called uh, uh, Samir Gandesha. And he writes, quoting someone else, that neo-fascist political parties are anti-systemic movements that nonetheless seek to preserve the existing order of property relations. And that, that's an old, I mean, that's, I think that's true. And that was realized already in the, the 20s and 30s. But I think that's why this these kinds of movements are are being associated with the, the political critique because they're already stigmatized and, and if they grow they aren't as much of a threat to the established order anyway. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Um, Corey. Mm. No, I don't really have anything more to add than that. <laughs> I'm learning I'm, how to read the the zoom. I, oh, do I still I still have that up? Sorry. Yeah. I Okay, see? No, I just I mean the movements now are completely the movements. I mean they're they're completely manufactured and they're they're managed, they're driven, they're financed by foundations, right? And right. the money for, for foundations is all all comes from um corporations right the the yeah. profit right stolen from the masses i mean it's just this big circle and um there's very very few groups um there's very few anything that's not you know in the pocket of, of capital you know and they serve to insulate that power that's why they're funded it's not philanthropy it's investment right you know yeah, um, I'd, 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 I'm not sure how to answer the question fully, except that I think what's been said so far is our, all, everyone's comments are basically true. I think we're missing something, but I, but I honestly don't quite know what it is. Uh, certainly, the people that are not dissenting that don't reject the lockdowns that were not skeptical of of you know slogans like trust the science which just is cause for endless amusement that one uh that 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 lack of skepticism speaks to these these movements are not movements but but whatever they are groups lacking any basic understanding of class struggle imperialism uh, they they that's all been eroded and lost and these are people who don't read marx they're not marxists they're anti-communist left self-identified leftists but they're anti-communist 
um, and, and, and really anti-Marxist and often anti-intellectual. There's a strong streak of anti-intellectualism. And this bleeds into something else that I think is worth discussing because I sent an article to Corey and Hiroyuki b- before this uh, from The Guardian about a fashion model, and I forget her name, mercifully, uh, who identifies as asexual. And this is the, a fast-growing group, apparently, self-identified uh, asexual. They don't want to ever have sex with anybody. And if you, it, it just seems another block in a very sex-negative, anti-human um, uh sort of ideology or value system that has been um, internalized in many ways, even by Hollywood. I think you could dissect Marvel and DC comics in a sense um, through this lens as well. There is something, um, you know, acutely, uh, if it was Wilhelm Reich, he would talk about character armor, but there is, uh, a shutting down of of uh, the the corporal body and and it connects somehow with with this anti-intellectualism and this also brings up the Adam Curtis documentary that Ed Curtin wrote such a great critique of which eight hours of well we can never know so trust the most powerful voice around you and you'll you'll be better off johan yeah there are so many threads to to try to tie together here i I just wanted to add to Corey. i i think you're uh, you're underscoring something important here as well because i think this co-optation i think people kind of get this i think that people this is something that people see and realize that you have a, a the left in a broad sense is being recuperated so people don't really trust it anymore uh, over here for for instance the kind of neoliberal social democracy is what counts for the left and uh, most people don't really trust it anymore uh, so so we don't we don't go for like a radicalization of democracy or green ngos and such things because yeah, we, we realize they're being in some sense co-opted while the radical right, it, it can still be construed as a kind of outsider. Uh, and I think also in, in concert with this, the radical right has actively um, entertained left-wing issues, especially in, in I think the US and in Europe, uh, arguing against austerity and this uh, this widening economical, uh, like this disparity of income and so on. But, but I also thought of this, uh, the, the Youth Anti-Sex League of Orwell's 1984, which it was uh, kind of central to the narrative how the, this uh, inhibition of the libido was necessary for the, for the power of the party in, in some sense. And I think we, we, we could perhaps uh, continue with that notion in, in some way. Yeah, well, I think, um, let me just very quickly partially make a, a partial comment to that. The, there, is, there is a connection between 
this um, submission to power, which is kind of what classical fascism, mm -hmm. uh, that that the truth is is expressed as power, mm -hmm. and that the the sex negativity, this kind of onanistic neurasthenic bloodless robotic you know people wanting to imagine a future where they're part machine uh it's it's a really nihilistic um and mm. a nihilistic moment and i'm not i haven't fully fully articulated all of this to myself but i see the threads i see a lot a lot a lot of articles i mean i could find them about that it's dangerous to think too much that yeah. seems to be a new marketing um yeah. uh, direction don't think corey um, well, adding to our discussion about the why it's why we see resistance from the far right or radical right or whatever the right um, and not the quote unquote left. I mean, conformity is really a powerful weapon that's used against us by by corporate power and ruling class, right? And so, if you can. Yeah, I think it's 25%. Maybe that's not correct. But if you can, if you can get a percentage of the population, um, if you can frame it in a particular way, you know, that the rest will just go along, right? Like if you look at the ash experiment, we, we can see how that works. So that's something um, that they really recognize and use against us, the power of conformity. That's mm -hmm. one. And then there was, um, I don't know. There's another thing I wanted to say, but I've forgotten. <laughs> Not enough coffee. Yeah, no, I, I it, it's, I feel like DeBoer's comment was really important that, that we we're now seeing um, the maturing of generations shaped by a, a post-literate screen um system of it's not even education it's anti-education uh and that that these are people who are increasingly um uncomfortable in the presence of others they're uncomfortable with intimacy they don't know how to talk so they don't like public speaking i sense this a lot in people uh and and that that the idea of being masked and hidden and uh, sort of just offering no resistance to anything um, is a is a very comfortable subject position somehow for them. You know that this is this is uh, this is the future, and that it represents. It comes under. There are all these alibis attached to it it's green you know <clears throat> it it is the build back better thing it's environmentally sound um it don't eat meat don't have sex don't think too much to <laughs> anything and you'll be better off and you're 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 manifesting a very responsible ethos when you do that i don't know there, there's also a, a, a different angle to look at this. Um, 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 the other day uh, on Facebook, I was 
posting about uh, this uh, lecture by the, uh, uh, the doctor who talked about um, um, the, the tendency of the vaccines uh, produced for uh, COVID um, only targets um, uh, part of the uh, virus. So the, uh, um, the immune response uh, is much narrower. It's not as strong as the uh, natural immunity we get from actually getting uh, the illness. And um, um, this uh, Indian filmmaker, Varun, he uh, uh, pointed out uh, the uh, connection between the uh, planned obsolescence of commodities. Um, so, you know, he connected that with people becoming commodities. So, you know, this is a really scary uh, direction we are heading. We are becoming commodities and we are becoming cheaper, you know, um, not very good versions of the uh, products mm -hmm. as we get this transhumanist um, direction. You know, they, they will talk about, we'll live longer, we will be smarter, we'll be stronger. I don't think that's going to be it. it. We will be, you know, um, not as good, you know, and that sort of connect to the ideas about people having our own idea of ourselves uh, to be certain ways. No sex, no fun, no, no, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? It, I do. And, and Corey, did you want to say something? I guess just building on what, <clears throat> on the conformity thing, I just wanted to add what I, what I'd forgotten to say. I mean, they have literally millions upon millions of NGO workers and staff, right? Alt, alt left media, corporate media. And so it's very, very easy when you have social media with, with all you know, these millions and millions of accounts, if you want to create the framing for any particular issue, um, all you have to do is send out what you tell, you know, you tell everyone what you want to say. I've even seen 20 different accounts with the exact same um, text and, you know, excerpts. They literally can frame a message that way because they are a literal army, right? Um, in, in servitude to the ruling class and to the foundation's ruling class. Um, so along with that, that conformity is the normalization of pragmatism. And it also, it's almost as though it's almost embarrassing to, to, to be radical. You know, you can't, so no one else is like that, right? Like that's, you wouldn't want to be caught being like that. Um, <laughs> and, and then that, I'm, you know, is that is conformity part of that? How the identifying with the oppressor rather than the working class, is that separate or is that too a part of conformity? So, right. yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, what Hiroyuki was saying, like even Klaus Schwab, when he talks about his new stakeholder capitalism, he always adds in there how we now have to value nature and humans 
what he's talking about is the commodification of humans of the human body right data commodities the commodification of nature assigning a monetary price to everything living right everything natural and free objectifying every every aspect of nature um so anyway that's it no no that's good uh, johan yeah I, I have a really long rant brewing here so if somebody wants to <laughs> say something first you can go ahead no, no, please. Yeah, okay, let me try to tie tie a, a, a bit of these uh, threads together here, because I think I think you said something interesting, John, a, a couple of minutes ago. Since you know the definition of fascism has been endlessly discussed in, in academia for for many many years, but I think I I think you're uh, pointing to to something very central to what we what we refer to when we speak of fascism, and, and I think that's. It's kind of this uh, this unreason, this uh, this uh, reduction or elimination of, of human rationality, uh, like where, where the individual is somehow subsumed within the collective and beneath its uh, mythological and, and quasi-religious power, entirely stripped of, of our agency and critical faculties, reduced to a kind of, of cog in the machinery. And I think here that that unreason is somehow at, at the heart of this. And this is, I, I, I would argue that this is the unreason of modernity's practical rationalism brought to a kind of end point in a totalitarian naturalism where the machine is everything that matters. And I think this is somehow the same thing as the reification and alienation of Marxism to simplify things. And this is not the heart of, of uh, I, I think, what Corey calls conformism or conformity. And if we go to Marcus in the 30s of the Frankfurt School, he wrote a text called The Struggle Against Liberalism and the Totalitarian View of the State. And here he argues that fascism is, in a sense, the rejection of rational reflection. I've been on this many times before, but the rejection of the individual's capacity to actually understand the world around us and extrapolate reliable information from it. So here I think the self-reliant rational practice is somehow eroded and then it's inevitably superseded by power. Truth is replaced by power by a kind of one dimensional worldview where there's nothing but this machine, this powerful machinery that dominates our, our life world. And we become like children, powerless, devoid of critical faculties and out of fear we become assimilated to the most powerful figure around. And I just have a, a thing about love. If we then move on to, to love and the libido, I would say to really love someone else, you need your reason. I mean, love is libidinous, it's bodily, but if you ask uh, like Aquinas and the medieval philosophers, love is also an act of the rational will. So while uh, Orwell, dissected this harnessing of the libido with this anti-sex league and all that, I think Huxley got in a bit deeper because he argued that a kind of bloodless sexuality of, of his dystopia would be perfectly harmless to the system because it was meaningless, because it lacked this rational and volitional component that is really what renders human love such a volatile, indeed miraculous thing that I think can, can conquer any worldly thing. So there. No, that's great. That's great. And there's so many things to, to comment on because we see 
the marketing apparatus in in from the giant telecoms and and from Hollywood and uh, and I want to talk a little bit about Hollywood for a minute in a minute, but we see how the culture has become increasingly infantile, and the the I mean there's a there's a great critique that a that a lawyer named Lynn Henderson wrote about the victims' rights movement at the University of Nevada. You can Google it. I think it's called the wrongs of the victims' rights movement, something like that. Uh, but it but it but it speaks to this, uh, and, and we see it with with the transgender um, marketing, the the now the asexual marketing, um, all of these notions of uh, behavioral notions that are sex negative, but human negative, anti-reproductive, and, and this tied into the, you know, the ubiquitous um, uh, overpopulation uh, uh, mem that, that just seemingly won't go away even in the face of overwhelming evidence that it's, that it's simply not true. Uh, that all of this stuff fits together. You can look at it and and see the 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 way these pieces and agendas relate to each other. And uh, a long time ago, it seemed that people formed their their belief system, their value system, as if they were shoppers. They shopped for an image of belief that appealed to them. It didn't matter if it was true or false because that was all relative anyway. And they, they wanted to seem a certain way. And if they, you know, um, uh, wanted to be imagined as, as a writer, for example, they would dress a certain way that they imagined writers dressed and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but somehow lurking in all of this is a, is a deep self-loathing as well. Uh, the, this is not a happy society. The West is not a happy society. And I point out again the, the number of Americans on antidepressants. Um, now, there are economic, profound economic reasons for this as well. People work longer and harder for less pay. Their lives are more economically insecure than they have ever been probably in history. I mean, medieval serfs had more economic security than people do today, than the working class does today. And you can trace back the, the arc, the most recent arc, it goes much further, of course, way back, but to, to the Reagan era and the destruction of unions and the constant emphasis on this certain kind, a certain brand of individualism, rugged individualism, and and um, martial belief in in the the virtue of war, and and um, you know the responsibility to what was it? What was Colin Powell's thing? Responsibility to protect or something? Um, the justifications for imperialism, and and it. It, it went into its most acute form after Vietnam. And I was talking the other day with somebody about this, that the anti-war movement had a, played a very significant role in ending the war. 
and this is this is minimized because today through all the sort of historical revisionism but but it did and the the authority structure the pentagon the cia the state department if we're talking about the us but it was true in europe too understood that they can't allow that kind of dissent to have that kind of power to influence policy and influence you know their profit cut into their profit margin so um, everything began very consciously in terms of Madison Avenue and, and all the firms that the government hired um, to, to uh, stigmatize socialist movements around the world, to stigmatize collectivism uh, and, and replace it with this kind of ersatz communalism. And uh, it, it, uh, it's been extraordinarily effective, but it, it then, with the onset of the internet, it took on it took on an entire new dimension. I think that that is what we're talking about, in a sense. So there's there's an extraordinary amount to talk about, but but the erosion of reason. I mean, Horkheimer wrote a book, The Eclipse of Reason, um, that talks about this very thing. Corey. Um, well, I know we're jumping around a lot today, but I wanted to um, just read a, a couple of sentences out of that article today, um, John in The Guardian, about that uh, growing asexuality movement. Yeah. And, and I do think it's important, especially I think um, you deserve a lot of credit, John, because you've been writing about this for a long time now um, in your work. Anyway, it says, um, there's a part, I don't want to have sex with anybody and I probably, and I probably won't ever have sex, says, um, what's her name, ben, Benoit, over Zoom, although she does explain that the key point here is sexual relations with others. She does masturbate. Okay, so again, like this is, she doesn't want sexual relations with others. She does masturbate. Again, it's like the separation of, you know, again, social distancing, um, avoidance of human contact. Um, and then it goes on to say that the, the asexuality movement is young and fast growing, right? And then it recently received a notable boost. So here we have like now asexual journalists being, we have influencers, right? Such as the, I guess you said, she's the model who wrote this letter or this article or that they're speaking of. Um, so again, it's about, you know, the transition from a uh, physical world, um, uh, um, uh, you know, severing the human experience, transitioning to a physical digital world. Because if you read on into this article, then you see that the growing movement and it's called activism and everything else is it's all happening online, right? It's all on yeah. Um, different social media accounts, right? Where this is all happening and YouTube channels. So again, there's no, there's nothing to be gained. There's corporate power can't um, um, garner anything from your sexual intimate experience within your home, but you can um, be, that data is valuable on internet. So everything we're being taken away from, <laughs> Basically, you're off, off, offline. There's no data, right? Online, there's data, right? Um, data commodities, and so again, this whole thing, physical is dangerous. Um, 
physical is dirty, physical, right? Like asexuality, moving towards digital is safe. Digital is woke, right? Digital, digital um, is good. So again, just the difference, the transition from biological to digital to artificial. And that is right across the board. And it's um, particularly targeting the youth and children, right? And that's why all these all these people are young and their models and you know um anyway it's just an, another really really important piece of the puzzle and you know it reminds me headed. sorry yeah it that, you know this is it's really profound and and it reminds me of um the wellett's book male fantasies that um i think we've even talked about before but he talks it was a study of the german free corps um, and extreme right-wing racist, um, anti-communist, and, and their fantasies and dreams and fears. And there was an enormous fear of like fecundity and wetness, moistness. Um, the female body was uh, struck terror into them. And uh, by extension, the, the fear extended to to reproduction and if you look at the all the woke um the the points of wokeness if you want um they they all reinforce um the fears of sexual contact um you're going to be accused of harassment and none of which is to say that that women haven't suffered harassment of course they have that's not the issue the solution is not what we're seeing however and and this was the free corps were acutely fascist and and i think that that this says something i mean because we're also seeing like an almost aldous huxley like you know this is the brave new world um that that Africans, part of the stigmatizing and paternalistic view towards Africans is they reproduce too much, you know, they have no control, um, they're sexual, you know, sexually out of control. And this is part of what separates us, the superior white advanced first world, from these people that need our help. And uh it's it's it reinforces a lot of racist tropes about <clears throat> black sexuality certainly <clears throat> excuse me and uh that that it also ties into ideas about progress which are really insidious i think and something that that probably would warrant an entire podcast but anyway johan yeah but i think uh, um I think something we can take home from from all of this is that libidinal attachment is now somehow directed towards technology rather than people. And this is something that uh, Theodor Adorno spoke of even in, in like 1946 when he argued that that a kind of consumptionist logic is is coloring the human sexuality. But now we're kind of turning towards technology with, with our libidinous attachments. Uh, I, I wrote about how pornography consumption has like skyrocketed since the, the WHO declared pandemic. 
and how the sellers of sex toys argue that how, that they're 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 digital sex toys for for kind of distance communication is the best way to create intimacy in 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 this um, in this isolation in a really deep paradox here. And ten years ago, I remember there was this this Japanese man who who married a kind of artificial girlfriend. He he married some kind of digital person. <laughs> So this is a, I think this is a new thing in a sense. Yeah, well, I mean, but 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 I think it was Paul Krasner, maybe it was Russell Jacoby. Somebody said, you know, 30 years ago, talking about reification, that it's where you treat your friends like appliances and your appliances like friends. And you see this in Hollywood all the time. It's a running, um, like, sort of secondary story often a comic relief or something that and i'm thinking of will smith in independence day his closest relationship is to his blender you know um and for his morning smoothie uh but but it took even before that of course a very pronounced turn with with masculinity and the attachment to warfare to guns as an extension and expression of yourself or cars um etc 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 and that's that's been a pretty exhausted um topic and and been written about a lot but we're seeing the next stage in Mm. that in in that sort of system of beliefs i think but it's coming in this because I really like this, that the biological has become digital, that um, reproduction is, is, is screen reproduction. It's not, it's not human reproduction. And I think that what, we're, what, what we see in this almost new war on children um, is an unconscious hatred of children. And, and um, there were alibis issued for that again with the overpopulation i mean the the eugenics myth runs through all of this and and um you know racism eugenics um and 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 fascism that that fascism is the is the antidote to to the messiness of um democracy or something somehow corey um yeah i'm really glad that Johan brought up about the pornography, right? It's so important to bring that up because why, you know, why have sex with another person when you can have sex with a screen, right? And that data can create profits. Um, I wanted to bring up the first International Asexuality Day will be held this year on April 4th. And if you look, they have, they have, so they have a website and then they have, you know, 10 different social media accounts. And then right, I just happened to go to the Twitter one because I, I find it really good for research. If you look at who they're, it's just created January, 2021. And then um, if you look, they're following 16 people and then they have these 16 people are, or sorry, 16 accounts are set up sort of, um, where are they? They're, I don't know, Dubai, Chile, they're set up across the world, right? And so anyway, where I, what I wanted to say about this, we have to recognize like this is really, really funded, right? Like this doesn't just happen on its own. This is staffed, 
right? We have websites, social media accounts, people looking after all these media accounts. Why, why is this being financed, right? By corporate power foundations, why? So there's a lot of money pushing this forward. Anyway, yeah, the whole transition from biological to digital, this is a big part of it. Right, right. Well, I, you know, this, the, 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 um, this, this antagonism toward uh, sex and that the normalization of, of, of pathologies like asexuality um, and, and the justification of that as somehow, you know, a legitimate belief system um, is, is reinforced with these, yeah, with these corporate marketing campaigns. And, uh, <clears throat> well, and it will become woke, John. I mean, it yeah, will absolutely. Be woke, right? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, millions millions and millions of dollars are poured into these campaigns right, right. no people are terrified to um to voice opinions that will get them ridiculed or or you know called unwoke um the 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 transgender thing i mean biden appointed this this you know formerly man now um um a transgender woman whatever you want to call it um, uh, the head of health and the irony can't be lost on people, I don't think. Uh, then, and this is normalized and legitimized and, um, and that's reinforced constantly and now has, you know, is a, is a, a clear part of government policy and, and of the Biden administration, uh, you know, because it's such a woke administration. Sure, this is, this is what we're seeing. And, and I keep coming back to the anti-intellectualism that runs through this. Um, but, but maybe before launching into that, Johan, did you have something? No, I just had a, an example on the previous thread regarding uh, pornography and so on, but we can move on from that. Yeah, well, I mean, the, 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 Three biggest industries in the world are defense, pornography, stroke, prostitution, and the packaging industry. Um, those are the three biggest, and I think that says something about you know our species. Uh, but but you know pornography is is a massive, 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 massive industry. And the fact that it is now being enclosed within <clears throat> this kind of AI sensibility that, that it's okay if you buy a sex doll Android um, and, and uh, that this passes for intimacy or something um, is, is being legitimized very consciously by, by Madison Avenue marketing campaigns. And, um, it, it is, it, but it's part of, but it's part of this fabric, right? We can't separate any of these things from any of the other things, I don't think. And, and that's important to remember. And it's hard to keep track of, I think. Um, Corey. Oh, it's just, oh, you know, we see this huge, massive, 
um, millions of dollars, the, the purpose, um, United Nations going after, you know, the um, checked, checked verified information, right? Censorship, massive and scale, and yet pornography, nothing, nothing, right? Chuck, you know, like, come on nothing there there it's fine right it's the problem is the people that go against the narrative the problem is independent journalism it, you know it's just everything is upside down right up is down yeah. down is up right it's just everything is so so fucking messed up now we there's are something lost. interesting <laughs> that there's something interesting that i don't fully understand again about this right left split because i think we've explained a little bit about it and we've explored it a little bit but um the skepticism towards government did not extend towards um the narrative about a vaccine the the lockdown justifications you know the disappearance of the flu any of these any of these questions that were never answered and barely asked publicly uh, why, why the distrust of authority on the left um, was suspended regarding COVID? This is something I'm, I haven't fully arrived at an answer for. Um, but anyway, Hiroyuki, Johan, anybody? Well, I mean, that, I think that's, that's really uh, the, uh, um, the institutions really made it clear that the, uh, this is something they are doing with all their might. Uh, it was expressed that it was really an expression of the framework itself. It was, it was unconditional. You, you are supposed to uh, follow uh, if you claim to be one of uh, citizens of the Western world. I think that's, that's, that's how people felt as well. And uh, yeah, that's why the, uh, all the uh, 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 governors, uh, they, they could uh, um, come up with decrees instead of um, uh, weighing uh, ideas with the uh, uh, appropriate um, channels. They, they could just, uh, you know, um, degrees are fine now, and that's 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 an extraordinary thing. And we're talking about uh, decrees that could change the whole structure of the society. Um, it's an amazing thing, but we have layers and layers that uh, that are affirming the direction. We turn on the TV. I don't have TV, but you know, people do. Um, you go to school, they talk about it. You go to community meeting, you are told. And the police would issue certain warnings about those things. It's, they are coming from everywhere. You are in this cage. Just mm. you're supposed to follow it. It's um um, it's a structural thing. It's Johan. Yeah. Um, but Johan, yeah, yeah. I entirely agree, and I think I think a lot of the answer lies in, in the fact that the progressive left is invested in the narrative of technological and societal progress. And, and it also is thereby invested in these uh, narrative uh, sources of symbolic power, such as corporate science and, uh, and technology and, and all of these things. So it's, it's really difficult to, to separate from that, uh, that, uh, 
basic uh, worldview, this basic narrative structure. And that's why I think uh, a lot of the ascent has come from the left. Well, I think, I think, yeah, there, there is a, there's a cultic belief in science and maybe more importantly, which is both the same and different in the idea of experts that one defers to experts. Um, and, and it, I've had conversations with people. It's very interesting. I mean, I've had conversations with people where I said, but why are children wearing masks? You know, children are immune. I mean, in the entire, on the entire planet, um, according to official statistics, whether one wants to believe those or not, uh, only 178 children have died of COVID. That's out of what, a trillion people or something, right? And I've had conversations with people where I've said, but, but kids are essentially, you know, statistically immune to, to COVID. And they will say to me, but no, no, I know this girl who was like nine years old. And I heard about it. my friend's friend's friend had and this nine-year-old girl got very sick and it took her months to recover. As if that answered my question. Um, and I, you try to say, but but anomalies always exist, right? There's always anomalies. We're talking about a trillion people. We're talking about, you know, hundreds of millions of people. And you're pointing out the single case as if that has relevance, an anecdotal case at that. Uh, <clears throat> but but this is how people think. There's there's this is the erosion of education. It's the erosion of thinking. Mm. People have a very hard time formulating um coherent reasonable arguments and this speaks to the whole thing that we've been touching on um this entire discussion uh and and i think that it is in some sense the the heart of of the whole issue uh people people feel powerless and overwhelmed their lives are increasingly insecure economically they they despair for a future. They despair for the future of their children, and they probably resent their children because of that despair. Um, now, it cuts across class lines, too. My, we may have talked about this before. My experience is that, that the sort of hot bourgeoisie, the educated white 30%, are the biggest believers in the official narrative. Um, and m the most skeptical people are are um, the the blue collar working class, as it were, um, the underclass who are enormously skeptical of it because it is it is penalizing them disproportionately, of course. So um, anyway, Johan, yeah. Uh, yeah, as I as I argued, like the, the, the left is too invested in the sources of narrative power that's uh, supporting the entire system to actually mount uh, uh, um, coherent or, or not like mount uh, systemic criticism and so on. But I think uh, I'm gonna just step back to this issue of uh, of uh, AI and and uh, digital digital sex and so on. Uh, because I, I read about this, this uh, there was a man who who married uh, quote unquote uh, a. Uh, a, a sex dollar equipped with artificial intelligence uh, and the marketing 
for this for this kind of device was something like that uh, this ai doll would be the the perfect soulmate she would listen to you respect you and she would like feel your emotions they even said and, and i think that that's that's kind of the perfect example of what uh, what the board calls the inner unreality of the actual society it's kind of the material manifestation of, of his pathological representation and, and so uh, a lot of this libidinous attachment to technology is also, I think, manifest in this, uh, this hope, this eschatological hope that's invested into the AI, this uh, almost godlike artificial intelligence that some people discuss will, will somehow right, emerge. Right, right. Uh, you know, Dan Brown, who wrote these, uh, uh, these novels, Critical of Christianity, I don't remember what they were called, he argued that some kind of emergent uh, godlike figure, AI, will, will somehow satisfy our need of religious experience. And I yeah, think that's a, a truly chilling idea. Well, you know, see, this reminds me of something that's interesting um, because I think this is true and it's important. And <clears throat> when there was this, this wave, a 10-year wave in Hollywood of zombie films and post-apocalyptic narratives, you know, after a virus wiped out the world, after atomic war wiped out the world, um, whatever it was, we were seeing, you know, um, a a group of survivors banding together and somehow, of course, there was always running water and sanitation, but never mind that. Um, <clears throat> those films were about several things. They were about fantasies of real estate, for one thing, because you could just go pick like that Will Smith film, is it I Am Legend or something? Um, you could go pick, you know, the, your favorite brownstone on Washington Square Park and, and um, keep it free of zombies and live there. And uh, it was also about a desire for the apocalypse, a desire for an idea of starting over because people couldn't make sense of their own future in the current state of things. So they welcomed the idea of a virus that will wipe out everything, um, um, you know, an, a Holocaust of some sort that would allow them to, you know, in their dreams, be one of the survivors that could build, mm -hmm. um, build back better, as it were. <laughs> um, and, and there was enormous appeal in this, clearly, because there were like a jillion versions of it. And it's interesting to graph the changes in it. I mean, you started with Terminator, and Terminator 2 and the message of that film was that robots would be better parents than real parents um, and and you know it it carried on from there the walking dead on television which I think is still running you know um, because it simplified the world and and they were always reconstruction narratives of some sort and people welcomed this um, hugely, but now we're seeing, I see article after article after article that says, well, but AI, runaway artificial intelligence will take over the world. Man can't control it. It's, never mind that this is preposterous and not true. Um, there's something that must be very appealing in this mm -hmm. fantasy for people because it keeps being reproduced. 
and that people somehow want to submit to an artificial intelligence that will tell them what to do and how to live and that will solve all the problems. And we're seeing a diluted version of this in the COVID narrative, I think. And it, it actually accounts for some of the acceptance and, and lack of resistance to, to this story. Now, you know, the flip side of that, I always feel compelled to point this out, is that there have been enormous protests globally against the lockdowns. Um, they're occurring in London, Ireland, Austria, Germany, Fran I mean, everywhere. People are, um, um, Australia, uh, pe people have had enough because they're, they, and I, and I think that frustration that a lot of people are feeling <clears throat> has to do with, with the psychological damage, not just to children, we've talked about this a little, but to adults, the psychological damage that travel restrictions and, and um, you know, basic rights that, that have to be um, curtailed and curfews and all of these things, um, even if people believe in them, believe in, in the necessity of them because they're scared of the virus, even those people are suffering psychological harm from them. And I think we're seeing people reach, starting to reach a breaking point with it. Um, psychologically, it is, it, is, it is something that is unsustainable on a collective level, I think, um, psychologically anyway. Okay, Corey, anything? Um, yeah, I mean, the World Economic Forum right at the very beginning of this put out, I could find it, um, maybe we can add a link to it. They had an article and it's, it states openly, this is the biggest psychological experiment we've ever conducted, you know, in the history of, of, of the world. And I think it even says, um, we will pay the price in the, in the same headline. Right, like we're wow. li we're literally now um, in our open prison. We become um, a lab experiment right across the board in in so many different ways, and we are being engineered daily, weekly, monthly, and um, so many of us don't even recognize that this is happening. And so I just wanted to read um, something really short that was yeah. published. Um, what is it? It's like a science paper published in Science Daily last July. And it's about the whole, like this ties into the social engineering, the conditioning of a global populace as we make this transition from biological to digital. Um, so anyway, I'll read, I'll read a couple of sentences. Zhang and his colleagues recommend media materials for, pro for promoting norm compliance behaviors to avoid information overload. The message in such materials should be succinct, concise, and brief, Zhang said. Make the decision process easy for people. And then it goes on to say, Zhang expects the, con the, contrib the contribution of working memory will decline as new social norms, such as wearing a mask or socially distancing, are acquired by society over time. Eventually, social distancing and wearing face masks will become a habitual behavior and the relationship with working memory will diminish. Wow. Astounding. It's just astounding. Um, yeah. And, and this is, uh, I think, what we're seeing. 
you know, whatever returning to normal, because I hear people say, well, when this is all over and, and things return to normal, things are not going to return to normal. I think the question is what or what kind of normal are they going to return to? It's not going to be um, what existed before. We're going to see profound changes and um you know, you can graph the, the marketing campaigns and what they're trying to sell people um, to accept. And um, I find it really frightening. Okay, but anyway, we're, that's maybe a sort of good place to wrap this up. Um, does anybody have any concluding thoughts? Johan, Hiroyuki? Um, it's, I don't know if it's a concluding thought, but the, I, I think... Um, uh, your point about the uh, desire for apocalypse is uh, really something. Uh, we talked about it when uh, we talked about the uh, 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 climate change. People um, desired the end of the world um, instead of uh, facing the uh, economic catastrophe uh, that's being built up um, by the uh, uh, system. And uh, I think the same situation is happening with the uh, other uh, crises. It, um, people would rather swallow um, the plague um, or the um, um, AI terror uh, domination. Um, uh, on the other hand, some people might I uh, think AI would be salvation uh, instead of um, pointing out the obvious that the uh, it's coming from the same system that's exploiting us. So um, I think it, it's uh, it, this desire for the end uh, is um, something we we will continue to uh, see as long as people are clinging on to this idea of uh, capitalism is doing okay. Somehow right. we have to stick to it. Well, let me, let me conclude with just a, a kind of footnote. And I've said this before, but, you know, I have seen in Corey and, and Hiroyuki, and I know this article, um, which was a very good critique of the lockdowns and, and very critical, but, and the author self-identified as a communist but then he went on to talk about but not not the authoritarianism of cuba and the ussr and and nicaragua and all. and i thought wow see the the historical revisionism has been really acute and very effective very effective and um it 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 is a useful sort of intellectual project or thought experiment to go back and try to find the real narrative um, behind uh, Cuba and Nicaragua and, and Venezuela and uh, USSR, whatever. Um, any of the socialist revolutions and, and um, socialist states and, and what happened to them and why. It's important to understand the um, just how effective anti-communist propaganda has been because it's been going on for 50 years, 60 or 70 years. Uh, and and uh, it, has, it has distorted the left. I think it was Michael Perendi years ago wrote a really cogent article called The Anti-Communist Left. Um, it's worth revisiting, I think. 
anyway, okay, um, Johan? Yeah, just a quick note on the this desire for the, the apocalypse. And I think you touched upon what, what I would say is like the other side of the coin here, the, the, the manufactured desire to submit to technology and to the, the awesome power of the system. Because, you know, ancient Egypt had, had god kings, and I find it completely plausible that you would uh, manufacture some kind of, of uh, artificial entity that could function in the very same manner. Oh, that's great. That's a great note <clears throat> and a great place to end, actually. Maybe we'll pick that up at the beginning of the next one. I think that's very good um, because there, that's a big topic and and worth digging into all right thank you guys thank you Corey, johan hiroyuki enjoy your birthday hiroyuki thank you john and uh thanks to jack Littman as always um for helping out with these things okay guys i will see you soon and talk to you soon see you later bye take care adios <laughs>